My name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at FBC. It's great to be with you this morning as we wrap up this series. For four weeks, we've been um, looking at the beginner's guide to predicting your future. If you've missed any of these messages, um, you can just go on, um, online, fbcnext.com, click on latest messages, and you can watch all of the stuff uh, that we've been doing. And as the guys just said, next week's a little bit different, an opportunity to celebrate and thank God uh, for all the stuff that so many of you do uh, to make FBC happen. Uh, and that marks the beginning of our summer Sundays, uh, where throughout summer on throughout August. We're just having one service at half past ten, uh, so right through to the end of August. And then in September, we kick off again with two services at nine and eleven. Um, but the thing I want us to talk about today as we wrap up this series is just think about this concept. Our worst decisions are often fueled by something with strong emotional appeal. Just think about a really bad choice that you made. Think about a regret that you're carrying around today. Many of those bad decisions, many of those regrets, many of the regrets we carry today or because of a bad choice we made yesterday. And the bad choice was fueled by this thing called strong emotional appeal. Something that was so enticing, something that was so appealing that we thought to ourselves, I've just got to have that. We saw something or we saw someone and we thought, I've got to have it. I've got to have them. We bought it, we dated it, we tried it, we said it, we smoked it, we went there. Whatever it is, some of the regrets, lots of the regrets we carry with us today are because of bad choices we made yesterday that was fueled by something with strong emotional appeal. It looked appealing, it looked desirable, and we wanted to have it. And the problem with things with strong emotional appeal is it, it makes us focus on the now. There becomes a disconnect between the now and later. Now is now and later is later. And we just think about, well, what impact is this going to have on me now? What's the benefit that this is going to have on me now? How am I going to enjoy myself or how am I going to be better in the short term? And we don't think about the long term. We don't think about the, the difference that this has on our life. We don't think about the impact that this has on our direction. And there becomes a disconnect between now and later. Later. The problem is for many of us, now is later. And that thing or that person or that whatever it was that was so appealing has now lost its appeal. Now that thing that you just had to buy and maybe you got yourself into debt to, to buy it, you don't even know where it is anymore. Maybe you got scratched or damaged and it's down the back of your bed or in a drawer or somewhere. It was so appealing back then, but now it's later and you're still paying for it perhaps, but you don't even know where it is. It's lost its appeal. That job that you just had to have that you think would make you successful and make you complete, you find out actually wasn't as good as you thought it was going to be and now you're stuck in a job that you don't want to be in. That person that you just had to date because you thought they were perfect, you don't even like them anymore and they irritate you. You know, we say things, we see things, we do things and we think it's so appealing, it's so desirable and my life will be complete um, if I have those things. Uh, but then we find out later on that actually um, it wasn't as good as we thought it was going to be. Those things lose their appeal. And this is all because of this thing called the principle of the path that we've been looking at throughout this series. This is a, a principle. A principle is something that applies itself to you. You don't get to pick and choose whether you want to use this um, or not. And the principle of the path is direction, not intention, de determines our destination. What we've been talking about throughout this series is that you end up where the road you are on ends up. So it doesn't matter what you intend for your life. Actually, what determines your destination, what determines where you will end up is the way that you are heading. 
And the thing about these, um, uh, the, the path um, and strong emotional appeal is that we see something and it becomes so enticing, it becomes so appealing that it distracts, distracts us or diverts us from the path that we're on. And we think, okay, I'm going to be doing this, this is my life, and I'm going to go in this direction. But we see something or we see someone, we think, I've just got to have that, I've just got to do that. And we go off course and our life changes direction. And that's the whole thing about these, these worst decisions that we've made. We make bad decisions based on something that's fueled with strong emotional appeal. But the consequence of that is not just that you've made a bad decision, it's that actually you've changed your direction. And where you're going to end up is now changed. It's shifted because you've been diverted or you've been distracted. Now, Shape, I want to let you in on a secret, something that will help you understand your parents a little bit more. Parents, what they do is they, they don't focus on where you are, they focus on where you're heading. I know this because I am a parent and I've had parents. And those of you who are parents or have had parents, you know that to be true, that parents get so focused, they get so obsessed, not on where you are now, but on what, where the path you are on is leading you to. So things like what GCSEs you pick, what A-levels you're going to do, what degree you're going to do, your parents filter that through their mind of where is this going to lead you? Where is this going to end? Uh, where is this going to help you end up? The people that you hang around with, the people that you date, the clothes that you wear, where you go, they're all influences and your parents are thinking, where is this leading you? Where are you going to end up? And you might think, you know, just chill out dad, I'm just going into town to hang out with my mates. But your dad is thinking, you're going to end up homeless and addict with no hope and no job and no future. And you're like, weird flex, but okay. <laughs> I can speak Gen Z. Yeet. Anyway, uh, and this is the whole thing. We do this. And remember, your parents have probably done that to you. I remember my parents saying things to me like, Chris, don't hang around with them because they're a bad influence on you. Has anybody ever said that? Has any parent ever said that to them? Was it just my parents? Probably it's just my parents then. Has any parents actually said that or thought that? You know, I wish my child wouldn't hang around with them because they're a bad influence. I am convinced that the friends that my parents or my mum said that against for me, don't hang around with them because they're a bad influence on you. I am convinced that their mum was saying exactly the same thing to them. Don't hang around with Chris because he's a bad influence on you. And this is all because we are so so um, concerned, parents are so concerned with where we're heading. You know, what direct, where are we going to end up? Why do we do that? Why do parents do that? Well, it's because they are boring, uh, horrible people who just want to spoil our fun and ruin our future. Of course, that's what, no, that's not what it is at all. The reason I do that, the reason my parents have done that to me, and the reason that you'll do it when you're parents, uh, is because we love our kids and we want what's best for them, that we want them to end up where they intended to end up, that we don't want them to end up somewhere they didn't intend to be. We don't want them to wake up one day and be someone and think, how did I get here? This is not what I intended for my life. And if me as an imperfect father uh, wants that for my kids, how much more does my perfect heavenly father desire that for me and for all of us? Because I believe in a God who loves us and has created us on purpose for a purpose. A God that has big plans for our lives and he wants us to end up where we intend to end up. He doesn't want us to wake up one morning in a ditch. He doesn't want to wake, us, wake up one morning and realize our finances are a mess or our relationships are a mess or our health is a mess or our careers or our education or whatever it is, is a mess. He does that because he loves us. And whoever you are, 
however old you are, whatever you think, whatever you believe, whatever you've done or not done, your Heavenly Father wants you to end up where you intend to end up. That he doesn't want you to get diverted or distracted or to get lost. And the thing that we need to remember is the path to be avoided is always paved with strong emotional appeal. You know, when we've got that option before us, and we're thinking, well, what do I do? And there's something there, and it seems so enticing, it seems so desirable. The path to be avoided is always paved with strong emotional appeal. We think to ourselves, you know, it's bigger, it's better, it's faster, it's newer, it's shinier. If I have that, if I do that, if I have them, if I go there, if I try that, my life will be complete. I will be bigger, I will be better, I'll be stronger, um, I will be more accepted, I'll be more valued, I'll be more loved. This strong emotional emotional appeal that entices us to go down a path that actually is going to lead us off course and head us in a different direction. And the problem with things with strong emotional appeal is that they do um, two things. They lower our defences and they raises our, raise our defensiveness. Just think about that. Think about some of those regrets that you've made in your life. Think about some of those times when you've given into something with a strong emotional appeal. The reason you've done that is because it's lowered your defensives. Normally, you would realise, actually, if I do this, if I say this, if I go there, if I try that, that's going to d- divert me off my path and I'm going to end up somewhere I didn't intend to be. But because this shiny, new, faster, bigger, better, um, more new experience, thing is there before us, we, our defences get lowered and we think it'll be okay. Why? Because we focus on the now and we forget about the future. So it lowers our defences, but it also raises our defensiveness because the people around us who care for us and love us can see that actually if you say that, if you do that, if you date them, if you try that, if you go there, this is not going to be good for you. And so they gently try to encourage us or challenge us on this. And what do we do? Well, we don't listen. We ignore them when we think they're just trying to spoil our fun, that they don't really know what is good for us. I do this all the time with online shopping. You know, I'll look at things and I want to buy something. This is a silly example um, of this. And, you know, I will... Do you ever read um, reviews for things when you buy online? It's a good thing to do because you can actually find out if something is really good or not. The problem I have is that I will make up my mind about what I want to buy before I read the online review. So I've already decided I'm going to buy this thing. It's going to be great. My life will be complete uh, if I have uh, this thing. And, um, and then I read the online reviews uh, and uh, I look through them and you find some reviews and that people say, yeah, it's a great product, it's brilliant. And I use those reviews to affirm my decision. And then you come across those reviews where people say, well, it's not very good, it doesn't actually work, it's, it's rubbish, it's not worth the money. What do I do when I read those reviews? Well, I don't listen to them. I think, well, they're just grumpy people who will complain about anything and I ignore them. And I buy the product and it comes and funnily enough, it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. It hasn't solved my problems. I did this with some shower um, um, shower shelves, things that you put in the the shower, uh, that you don't have to drill. You just clip them on, and and with pressure, it sticks to the walls. And I thought, that's brilliant, because our shelves are broken, and I don't really want to drill into tiles, because that's just complicated. So all I have to do is put these on, and I'll, I'll click it in, and it will sit there, and my life will be complete. The problem is, there were some reviews that said it was great, and there were some reviews that said it's rubbish. They don't stick to the wall. And so what did I think? No, I need these because I don't want to drill. Uh, So these will solve my problem. So I bought the product, I pull it in, and what happened? Collapse. Straight away. You can't even put, you know, a toothbrush. Not that you'd have a toothbrush in the shower anyway. You can't put any shampoo or shower gel or anything on these things because they just collapse. And I thought to myself, 
Well, that was stupid, wasn't it? What a waste of money that was. Why didn't I listen uh, to those people that were telling me that this is not going to be a good product? That was a really stupid thing to do. Have you ever done that? Have you ever made a bad choice, something that you regret, probably more extreme than buying shelves for your shower, and realize actually that it didn't end up as I thought it was going to end up? That when I said that, or I did that, or I went there, or I tried that, or I dated them, or whatever it is, that you now it's lost its appeal, and now you're filled with regret, and you think, how could I have been so stupid? Have you ever said that to yourself? How could you have been so stupid? That's the problem with things with, with strong emotional appeal. Not only does it lower our defenses, and it raises our defensiveness, it makes us stupid. It lowers our IQ. It lowers our EQ, our emotional intelligence. We stop listening to ourselves. We become less self-aware, but we also become stupid. We make bad choices. We make bad decisions. How could I have been so stupid? Well, it's because you were attracted to that thing with stronger emotional appeal. You thought it's newer, it's faster, it's bigger, it's shinier. You were focused on the now, and you weren't focused on the future. What if there was a way that we could avoid this? What if there was a way that we could avoid making these regrets or these bad decisions in our future? The good news is they can. That's exactly what this series is all about. And we're going to look at some words that a guy called Paul uh, wrote, which talks into this. Paul was um, one of the guys, he was a leader in the early church. He wrote lots of the letters in the New Testament. But Paul wasn't always a believer of Jesus. Paul wasn't always a Christian or a follower of Jesus. You might not like Christians. You might be irritated by Christians. Well, you will associate with Paul. Paul hated Christians. In fact, he set out to destroy this new movement called the Way or the Church. He actually oversaw the persecution of people who followed Jesus. His life's mission was to stop this movement. And then he had a life-transforming encounter with Jesus. uh, And his life was transformed. And he went from being somebody who was passionately about destroying the church to somebody who was passionate about building it and helping people discover who Jesus is. And so Paul traveled around um, the Mediterranean region, um, the known world at, at that time, really. And he planted churches all across the Mediterranean rim. And he wrote lots of letters to them to encourage them and challenge them and help them to keep going in their faith. And that's lots of the letters that we find in the New Testament. And he writes this one letter that we're going to look at in particular to a church in Galatia, uh, which is called Galatians. And this is what Paul says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. The whole thing about following Jesus is that it is liberating, that Jesus came to give us freedom. Jesus didn't come to restrict us. Jesus didn't come to actually um, get in our way and stop us enjoying our life. Jesus came to give us freedom. And perhaps your experience of Christianity is not about that. Perhaps what you experience of um, following Jesus is a restrictive, a rule-based, people getting in your way and saying, this is what you can and you can't do. If your experience of Christianity, if your experience of following Jesus is anything other than liberating and free, then you're experiencing the wrong type. Then what you've been told or what you've been to or what has been said uh, to you in the past is not the trueness or the freedom that Jesus had for you. Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But 
Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That's, I'm sure you would never uh, use that phrase, indulge the flesh. What's that about? Paul is saying, you know, don't use that freedom that you have been called to, that you've been given. Don't use that freedom that Jesus came and gave his life for, for you, to indulge yourself. Don't use that freedom just to benefit yourselves. There's, there's another way um, of, of doing this. There's another way of living in, in this way. Um, and he goes on, you know, don't, don't do that. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. This is a huge challenge that Paul um, reminds uh, these people in, in Galatia. He reminds us about this as well, that Jesus came so that we can experience freedom. If we believe in Jesus, if we're followers of Jesus, if we're Christians, that the whole reason Jesus came was so that we can be free. But he didn't come so that we can use that freedom on ourselves. He came so that we can use that freedom to benefit other people, to serve other people humbly in love. Now, perhaps you're a follower of Jesus, but if you're really honest, you're not convinced by this. You probably would never say that, but actually, if I was to look at your attitudes, your values, um, your actions, if I was to look at your diary and your bank balance, because we all know that actually what we spend our money on and what we spend our time on really reflects what's important to us. And you would probably never admit it, but actually, you use your freedom to benefit yourself rather than to benefit other people. This is the challenge that Paul talks about, and it's hugely challenging. And it's completely normal that we would do that because our natural tendency left to ourselves is that we focus on ourselves. We look inward, and we think about our own needs and our own desires, and we don't think about the desires of other people. And Paul is talking about this. Now, the interesting thing is Paul knew that you would think this. Paul knew that these people that he was writing to would think that, and that's why he says this other thing that he goes on to say for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command now this entire law paul is partly i think talking about the jewish law so paul came out of judaism and uh, there were 613 rules laws commandments that you had to live by in order to receive favor from god to be good enough to exist in god's presence you had to obey these 613 uh, laws and commands and i think that's partly what paul is talking about here but paul is also writing to this church in galatia galatia is in the the Greek world, the Gentile world. Gentile just basically means uh, non-Jew. Galatia um, is found in modern-day Turkey. So I think he's also writing to them or talking about just the law of life. The, you know, the things that we would want our kids to do. The things that we expect other people to do. The things that we'd want people to do to us. You know, Paul is saying in here the entire law is fulfilled in this one command. And what Paul says, he's able to boil down all of that law of life, but also all of that law um, of Judaism. All those 613 commands into one command because Jesus has done this already. Then somebody asked Jesus, you know, out of all the law, out of all the Jewish law, what's the most important? And Jesus answered that question. And this is what um, um, Paul builds on. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what Paul is saying? If you get this right, you don't have to worry about the rest. If you get this right, if actually you understand what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, all of that other stuff just falls into place. You don't have to worry about it. This is the overarching New Testament ethic that when we look at who Jesus is and what Jesus said and what Jesus did, this is what we're called to do, to use our freedom to benefit other people, to love our neighbor. And that doesn't mean the person who lives next door to you. That means the people you come into contact with. Perhaps it's the person who standing right in front of you, wherever it is that you find yourself. To love them as you love yourself. And that's the challenge uh, that is set before us. Um, and Paul is saying, you know, if you get this right, 
everything else falls into context. If you are a follower of Jesus, you should dedicate, this is what we're called to do, dedicate our lives to working this out. What does that look like for me? That's what discipleship is all about. How do I use the freedom that Jesus has given me, not to benefit myself, but to serve one another humbly in love? How do I love my neighbor as myself? That's the the way that we work that out. And Paul continues, and it seems that he's changing track, um, but it's still the whole part of the same thing. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Now that sounds a little bit confusing and a little bit spooky. He's not talking about, you know, doing seances. He's not talking about ghosts or anything weird like that. He's just saying walk in sync with your heavenly father. Walk in step uh, with God, with the spirit of God that's given to those of us who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, that the spirit of God is given to us as a gift to help us live our life. And Paul is saying, you know, walk in step with the spirit. Give in, allow yourself to listen to those internal nudgings of your heavenly father. You know that stuff, that prompting within, when you're caught in this thing about, well, what should I do? Should I go there or, or should I go, go there? There's sort of like that nudging within. And you might not think of that as a nudging from God. You might think of that as your conscience, you know, telling you the things that you should do rather than things that you want to do. You ever notice the difference with that? You know, there's things that we want to do and there's things that we ought to do. And when we want to we want to do this but we know we ought to do that something sort of nudges us in the direction of I know you want to do this but but you ought to do that do you ever experience that see I think that's more than just me I think that's more than my conscience because often those places where I'm nudged is beyond the things that I would naturally do for myself beyond my natural intentions because your heavenly father will always nudge you in the directness direction of others firstness if that's a word your heavenly father will always nudge you in the direction of sacrificing yourself for the benefit of others of not going after what you want to benefit it rather but benefiting other people that that nudging and Paul is saying you know walk by the spirit follow um, those promptings of that God places in you listen to what it is that God is saying into you that that small voice and follow him and obey him because when we do that we don't gratify the desires of the flesh that sounds weird again isn't it another way of interpreting this is that we don't give in to selfish desires that we don't fulfill selfish temptation that we don't just go after um, the me first thing uh, that, that we want to do. Um, and th- you know, this is a huge challenge because th- so much of our life is about this. You know, I want to do this, but um, I, I want to go after those things and we become self-centered. We just think about what it is that I want to do. We see something and we think, that is so appealing. My life will be complete if I have that or if I try that. That's gratifying the desire of the flesh. And maybe you understand what I'm talking about. Maybe you understand this sort of tension that exists within you between, you know, I want to do this, but I ought to do that. Um, and Paul talks to that very that tension. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. You know, he's talking about this battle that goes on bet- inside you, and you experience this, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in, in Jesus or not. You, you experience that conflict, that tension, that disconnect between what I want to do and what I ought to do. Now, Paul is saying, well, that's the, you know, God's spirit within you, helping you, prompting you um, to actually to go this way rather than to go that way. Now, imagine how different your life would be if you just did the things that you ought to do instead of giving 
giving in to those desires of what you wanted to do. Imagine how different your finances would be if you always did what you ought to do rather than what you wanted to do. Imagine how different your health would be. Or imagine how different your grades uh, would be. How, imagine how different your relationships would be if you listened to what you ought to do rather than what you wanted to do. Imagine how different the restaurant experience would be if you always did what you ought to do rather than what you wanted to do. There'll be no menu. Uh, there'll be no dessert on menus, would there? Because you'd get there and think, shall I have sticky toffee pudding? I really want to have sticky toffee pudding, but I ought to have a piece of fruit. And what do you do? Well, you have the sticky toffee pudding because it's far more appealing uh, than the fruit. And if you're being really good, maybe you have a chocolate orange because that sort of uh, compromises a bit <laughs> of both things. Sorry, I went a little bit off tangent here. But there's this battle that's going on. I want to do this, but I ought to do this. I want to gratify the desires of my flesh, uh, is how Paul would put it. But the Spirit of God is nudging me in another direction. Will I use my freedom on myself, or will I use it to benefit other people? And Paul continues his train of thought. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, if you follow that prompting of the Spirit, if you don't use your freedom on yourself, if you embrace that concept of loving your neighbor as yourself, you're not under the law because you don't need um, a law for those things. And this leaves us with this really, um, or presents this really challenging question for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Remember, this is who Paul is talking to. This, this is a thing that we are compelled to do because it's what we're signed up for. And you might, not be, you might not be a Christian, you might not necessarily agree with all this stuff. You're not under any compulsion to do the stuff that Paul talks about here. But as you look at that and as you think, okay, if I live my life that way, where would it lead me to? Where would I end up? And there may be things in this that you think, actually, I can see that if I did that, I would benefit, my relationships would benefit, my health would benefit, my finances would benefit from that. But the question this prompts in us is, what does love require of me? What does selflessness require of me? What does other firstness require of me? In all situations, in all places, you know, when I'm spending my money, when I'm hanging out with my mates, uh, when I'm at home, when I'm watching TV, whatever it is I'm doing, wherever I am, what does love require of me in this situation? This is the huge challenge that Paul presents before us. This is the challenge that Jesus presents before us. This is what he says, come and follow me and spend your life working out the answer to this question. What does love require of me um, in this situation? See, the thing is that when we give in to those, um, that desire, that temptation, what I want to do, um, it manifests itself in, in lots of different ways. It sends us on a path that we didn't intend to be. Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious. You know, you can see it, you know it, and the people around you can see it, and the people around you know it. And Paul lists a whole load of things, a whole load of examples that are acts of the flesh, that are relevant to his culture and his context. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles miles away uh, from where we are. This is what Paul says. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. What is the like? You know, I want you to continue that sort of thing. And some of you are thinking, well, that's just a good Saturday night. You know, that's the sort of stuff that I do because when you look at this, some of the stuff on here is really appealing. 
course it's appealing. That's, if it wasn't appealing, we would never do it. No, selfish ambition is appealing. You know, we see something, we think, I have to have that. That will make me better than everybody else. There's something appealing in that. Sexual immorality is appealing. There's something about that thing right now that we don't think about the consequence of later. We just think about what's happening now. Rage and anger is appealing right now. Wouldn't it be so good for me just to let them know what they have done and how this has made me feel? Do they not realize the impact that what they have said has had on me? I'm going to let them know about that. That feels so good. You know when you just explode at someone, it feels so good. But then later comes in and you realize, I shouldn't have done that. You know, the relationship is broken and it's damaged and uh, we're filled with regret. That's what Paul's talking about. This is obvious. You know, these things are obvious. Everybody can see it. You can see it. They can see it. And if we were to sum up all of these words or all of these acts of the flesh into one category, it'd be this. Selfishness. Me firstness. Just thinking about myself. Just putting my wants and my desires and my needs ahead of everybody else. What does that look like for you? What are your acts of the flesh? Just go around the room and uh, just speak them out. <laughs> no, we won't do that at all. But think about that. Where do you, you know, give in to the acts of the flesh? What are the obvious signs that you are giving in to what you want to do rather than that nudging of what you ought to do? What are the obvious signs that you're going after gratifying yourself rather than listening to that nudging, that internal nudging of your heavenly Father, of the Holy Spirit? Selfishness. And this is what we, when we're left to ourselves, this is what we default to. When we wake up in the morning, our default setting defaults back to selfishness. It defaults back to me firstness. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are. Your natural tendency is to be selfish. We all are. Human beings are selfish by nature. We focus on ourselves. We think inward rather than outward. All of those things that I listed before were inward things. It's all about what can I get out of this? What do I benefit from this? What do I gain from this? This is where we, uh, when we're left to ourselves, um, this is what we default to. So we need help to help us go beyond that. But the problem is there's a huge consequence to these actions. We know that. You know, there's a consequence to us doing things for ourselves. We have to live with those consequences, and other people have to live with those consequences. But Paul says something very challenging and very sobering about this. Let's just have a look at it. I warn you, as I did before. Now, Paul has talked about this whole thing. When he visited them before, he's gone over this before. Now, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, those who are selfish, those who only care about themselves, those who gratify the flesh, those who do what they want to do rather than what they ought to do, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, I wish I had time to resolve that for you, but um, I can't. Uh, we haven't got time to unpack that. That's massively challenging. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, I'm sure you understand the implication of, of this. If you're not, uh, then, well, you've not signed up to this anyway. But, you know, if you live like this, if you, if you give in to your natural tendency to be selfish, you will not, Paul says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not experience life under the reign and rule of Jesus, where Jesus is king. You will not live your life to the fullness that Jesus has for you. And many of us are doing that right now. Many of us are living our lives in this direction because we want to go after that thing that is appealing. And we've been directed, of course, and our direction will determine our destination. Where we end up will be determined by the path that we are on. The good news is there's another way. 
that, you know, we might be heading in this direction, but we can head in a different direction. And that's why Paul goes on. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit, you know, that when you give in, when you allow yourself to follow that internal nudging of your, ho- um, your Heavenly Father, when you go after what you ought to do rather than what you want to do, when you actually think about how does this benefit other people rather than how does this benefit me, when we put other people's needs before the needs of ourselves, this is what happens to us. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, basically that means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That the fruit, the natural outworking of actually listening to your Heavenly Father and walking in step with Him. The natural outworking of not going after what you want to do, but what you ought to do. The natural outworking of you actually thinking about, well, how does this impact you and putting others first is that our lives are full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And all of these things are outward. These are not about me. This is not about what I can get. This is not about what I can receive. This is about what can I give? How can I benefit you? How can I bless you? And just think about those two lists that I had up earlier, you know, the acts of the flesh and these things. Which one will ultimately leave you more fulfilled? Which one? A life that's filled with sexual immorality and hatred and discord and envy and jealousy or a life that's filled with love and joy and self-control and, and gentleness? Which one will leave you feeling actually, yeah, my life has meaning, my life has purpose? Which one will make you feel more satisfied? It's a no-brainer. You know, this is exactly uh, what Paul is talking about. This is exactly the life uh, that Jesus has for us. And then then Paul goes on to say something absolutely so amazing and so life-changing that we often um, forget. We often don't see how amazing it is. And I'm going to put the words up, and you're going to be thinking, really, Chris? Is that really that amazing? Let me pull it up. This is so life-changing. Against such things, there is no law. Yeah, I thought that was right. You're like, what? You know, that's sort of, that was a bit of an anticlimax. I was expecting, you know, John 3.16, that's a lot better or something like that. No, against such things there is no law. What Paul is saying is that, you know, against all that other stuff, when we gratify our flesh, we need laws, we need rules, we need regulations, we need boundaries to protect ourselves and to protect other people. We need to know how far is too far because if we don't have that, we will destroy ourselves and we will destroy our relationships and we will destroy our finances and our health and our careers and the people around us. Us. We need to put law in place to protect ourselves and protect society against selfish desires, against me-firstness. You don't need laws. You don't need rules. You don't need regulations to protect yourself about these, the outworking of these things, these others-focused things. Now, let me give you an illustration. Nobody ever says, you know, I've never said this to Jamie, Jamie, you have too much peace. Can you tone down the peace? Oh, it's just too peaceful. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever says, I'm really worried about my wife. I'm really concerned about my wife. The problem with my wife is she's too faithful. I know she'll never cheat on me. I know I can trust her completely. It's ruining our marriage because she is too faithful. Nobody ever says, the problem with my teacher is that he's too patient. He will go over things time and time again until I understand it. He's just too patient. Nobody ever says, no parent has ever said, kids, if you don't stop being kind to one another back there, I'm going to stop this car and turn us around and go home. Nobody ever says that. Nobody says, you are too gentle. Nobody says, you're too self-controlled. You know, you, the, the whole thing about, this, you know, about being self-controlled is thinking about, I want to do this, but I'm not going to do that. 
You know, because I might want to say this or I might want to act in the way, but I know that's going to hurt you or damage you. So I'm not going to give in to that temptation. Nobody says this. We don't need a law about these things because this is the life that Jesus intends for you. This is the path that Jesus intends you to walk down. This is what Jesus has in store for you. That he says, as you follow me and as you listen to me and as you, you know, give in to the nudgings that I place within you, as opposed to those nudgings that you have in yourself, if you walk in step with the Spirit as opposed to gratifying the desires of the flesh, this is what your life will be categorized with. This is what I intend for you. Whoever you are, whatever you think, whatever you believe, whatever you have done, this is the life I have for you. Why would you want something else? Why would you want to go after something else that will lead you down a path that you will end you up somewhere you don't intend to end up? Jesus says, follow me, listen to me, look to me, learn from me, and this is where you will be. Have you become so enamored with something or someone on your path that you fail to recognize where the path you're on is taking you? Have you become so enamored with someone or something on your path that you fail to recognize where the path you're on is taking you? Have you looked at the, the acts of the flesh and thought, that's so appealing, I've just got to have that, I've just got to have them, I've just got to say that or do that. And you've, it's distracted you, it's taking you off and it's leading you down a road that you don't want to be in and you will end up somewhere you don't want to end up. If that is you, is it time you start living in a different direction. The thing is you can predict your future. The path you are on will determine where you end up. Are you on the right path? Whoever you are, whatever you think, whatever you believe, are you heading in the direction you want to head in? And if you're uh, a follower of Jesus, are you doing that in step with him? Are you listening to that internal nudge of your heavenly father prompting you and guiding you saying don't give in to what you want to do. Don't go after selfish ambition. Don't gratify that side of you. Listen to me. Use your freedom to benefit somebody else. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not sure what you think or what you believe in this. Can you see that actually if you live your life in step, in sync with him, that you will end up somewhere that you intend to end up. That you will be somewhere and you will become someone you want to be. That's the life that Jesus has for you. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much uh, for your love and for your wisdom. I thank you so much that we don't have to do this alone. Uh, that you help us, that you place a spirit within us to prompt us and guide us. And Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us for those times when we've just given in to what it is that we want to do and we've not thought about those things that we ought to do. Father, I pray that you'd forgive us for those times when we've been selfish and self-centered, when we've used that freedom that you've offered us for ourselves, to benefit ourselves. And we've not thought about how does this impact the people around us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to embrace that principle of the path, to love others the way that you have loved us. And in doing so, may our lives be categorized by that fruit of your spirit. May we be filled with love. May we be filled with joy. May we be filled with peace. May we be filled with gentleness and goodness and thankfulness. May our lives be filled with self-control. May we be filled with you. Amen.